Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jeremy Bear, one of the new pastors here on staff, and I am delighted to be able to participate in this series that we've been going through for the last few weeks. Um, Oikos, we'll get into everything that that means, um, what that word means here in just a second. But just to start, let me, let me ask you guys a question. Um, how many of you guys like surprises? You guys like surprises, right? Like depending on what the surprise is, if you're like me, you're like, I like surprises, but I kind of want to know at least something about it um, because I'm an introvert and I don't like, you know, being surprised. Well, um, when I first got married, I was getting to know my wife was what happens when you first get married, right? And uh, I'm learning that my wife, she really likes surprises. She really likes to surprise people even more specifically. My kids kind of get to like, all right, another surprise mom, you know? Um, but she really loves to surprise people. And early in our marriage, it was like, I think my first like birthday when we were married uh, together. And, and so it's my birthday and she's like, all right, um, put the blindfold on. I'm like, whoa oh, wait, what a second, wait a second, what are you talking about? She's like, put this blindfold on, I have a surprise for you. And I was like, oh, okay. So she puts this blindfold on me and then leads me out of the house. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is some serious trust here. Um, and so she walks me down to the car and she's like, we're gonna go somewhere. I was like, oh no, what, who did I marry and what is going on, right? And so she leads me to this restaurant and I'm, and I'm you know, all the while trying to unlock my inner GPS to figure out where we're going. Okay. We just turned right. We just turned left. And, but she's one step ahead of the game. She actually knew that she takes me to a parking lot and she gets me out, walks me around in a circle. And she's like, I'm just getting kidding. Get back in the car. Now we're going. And I was like, dang it. So I'm totally discombobulated. And she takes me to this restaurant, walks me into this very public setting. And as an introvert, like I said, I'm going, Oh my goodness, this is, I don't like where this is going. <clears throat> so we go, we sit down, and uh, she takes the blindfold off and it's like, oh, there's my family and my, you know, my parents. And I was like, okay, thank you. You're so sweet. Um, I love you, Stacy. And so we enjoy a nice meal together. Well, the next year she's like, all right, happy birthday. Um, here's the blindfold. I was like, dang it. Do we have to do this again? And she's like, yep, put the blindfold on. I was like, okay. So I put the blindfold on, but this time I'm like, I, I think I know what she's going to do. She's going to take us to a restaurant and my family's going to be there. And I'm kind of anticipating that. Right. So we pull up to this restaurant, we get out only this time a little, I'm a little bit more confident about what's actually happening. So we go into the restaurant and I'm just talking it up. I'm like, yeah, guys, isn't my wife amazing? Like blah, 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 blah. Cause I'm thinking, like this is my family here and we sit down and she takes the blindfold off and I'm in front of complete strangers. We're at like that Benihana kind of like community meal thing where you don't know anybody you're sitting with. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a real test of our relationship. But, um, but I, I personally, I don't really like surprises, especially like that, you know? And, and life can throw us some surprises, Right? Like, are, are we all on the same page there? Life has a tendency to throw some serious curveballs at us. And, and I think that this can be true as we are following Jesus, where there are things that happen as we're following Jesus that are kind of a big surprise to us. I know this was true of my life. It's probably true of your life as well. This was the, the case when I came to know the Lord 
up in northern Utah. I, was, I lived in northern Utah. And yes, I was raised in an LDS home. And, and I, I, I left that when I was about 12 years old. Um, but then I, I came to know the Lord when I was 20 years old. So I'm just shy of a decade of living just the way that I want to, okay? Um, but I remember when I first came to know the Lord at 20 years old, um, I'm thinking like, man, I, I'm understanding who Jesus is. I'm understanding what he's done for me, and he is worth following, and I want to follow Jesus. And so one of those steps of obedience was to get baptized. And so I'm like, I want to get baptized, and I want to tell my family, who's still LDS, like, I want to tell them that I'm getting baptized. And so I was like, I, I know the perfect opportunity. We're actually at like a, a family vacation. We're in this like, um, you know, hotel and we're all together. And I was like, this is a great opportunity to tell them that I want to get baptized and I'm going to follow Jesus, right? And so I, I tell my family, hey, um, I've got kind of a big announcement. I am, I'm going to get baptized and I want to follow Jesus. And my expectation was like, man, that's great. But do you know what ensued? Tears and fighting, tears and fighting. Now, granted, I've been following my own desires for the last eight years. I thought that they would celebrate the fact that I wanted to follow Jesus and give my life to God, regardless of the differences in our faith. But they cried as if they had lost a son. And it was conflict and there was fighting and there was confusion. And I was like, what is going on? And I was confused by that. Well, sometime later, years later, God called me and my family to do missionary work in Eastern Europe. We lived there for seven years, and, and five of those years we lived in Serbia. And, and I had the opportunity to lead like one person to Christ uh, over the period of five years, and I learned really quickly um, what it cost people there in Serbia to follow Jesus. I thought when I gave my life to the Lord and had this kind of conflict in my family, I thought that was bad until I went to Serbia. And in Serbia, when somebody gave their life to Jesus and followed Jesus, they said, you are no longer Serbian. You, we will not even consider you to be part of our ethnic family anymore. You lose your ethnic identity and we, you are ousted. And I was like, wow. I thought I had it bad, right? In following Jesus and deciding to follow Jesus. And some of these, these things were surprising to me, especially initially as a new believer. I'm like, what is going on, right? Why some of these responses? And so the passage I want to first start with, with you guys this morning is a word from Jesus. And he actually uses this word oikos. And he uses it in a way that I think is surprising, and it's, it's, for me, it actually brought a level of comfort when I heard Jesus say this. So if you have your Bibles, you can, um, you can look at Luke chapter 12. The passage will be up here. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this in verse 52. He says, from now on, in one house, that's our word. That's our word oikos, right? And this is when the, the New Testament uses this word, this is generally how it's used, is, is a physical house or a household. Those who are within the closest to you, this oikos, right? And he uses this word and he says, from now on in one oikos, there will be five divided, 
three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, that is, I I didn't see that coming, right? Like I, I I thought you came to bring peace, you know? I thought, I thought you came to bring um, restored relationships and reconciliation. And, and, and he says, yes, yes, I did. But the way in which your human interactions look when you're following me sometimes can look like this. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware. And I think Jesus does this because he doesn't want us to be caught off guard and surprised when this kind of curveball comes our way in our pursuit of Jesus and following him. He says, I don't want you to be surprised that this is going to be a normal aspect of your walk with Jesus, of your Christian life. <clears throat> and so, like I said, this was actually a comfort to me. The first time I read this, I was like, okay, so this is normal. This is normal. This is a normal aspect of following Jesus. You know, when my LDS and unbelieving um, friends and family both formed what was interesting, a unified front against me. And that was interesting to me when I said, I want to follow Jesus. You know, like I said, it was eight years of developing friendships and and being with people that were absolutely anti-religion, anti-organized religion, and they hated it. And I did before I knew Jesus. What was interesting is as soon as I said, I want to follow Jesus, there was a unified front between my LDS family and my unbelieving um, friends against me. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa, what, what is going on? And that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about, is the nature of what has happened to us in Christ and what do we do about it? These are the two questions that we're basically going to be looking at. What has happened to us in Christ? What has happened to us And understanding what has happened to you, I think, informs and helps you to know exactly what to do in these situations. And it's just that, we're just going to get that practical, okay? What has happened to us and what do we do about it? So I want to fast forward in the biblical story. And for the rest of our time, we're going to be hanging out in a section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Okay, so if, again, if you're a, uh, like to open your physical Bible, you can look there. The passages will be here on the screen as well. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to first ask this question. What has, what has Christ done for us and to us? Where, what are the, even the, the things that have happened to me that I don't see and maybe didn't even understand that happened to me without me choosing that that would be the case, and yet it still happened? so that I can have a right understanding of what that is. So what has happened to us? So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Let's just start right there. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 2, just to set the context, he's already described some of the sufferings he's endured. He says earlier in the book, he says, like, guys, like, I've despaired of life itself. His suffering level was, like, beyond what any of us have probably experienced. And he says, I have despaired of even life itself, but it's so that I would trust in the living God who raises the dead, right? And, and, and he makes this statement after he's saying, like, look, I've been going through kind of a rough go at it in following Jesus. But then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but... 
Here's the thing, and he had this perspective, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The first thing I wanna focus in on is what it says Christ has done for us. And it's implied in this this phrase right here that, that Christ always, and I love this statement, always. This is present tense. No matter what your circumstances are telling you, Christ is leading you in triumphal victory. Always. Okay. This is Christ's job. This is what he loves to do. But what are the implications of what he is saying here? So there's a response that the original audience would have heard when they heard this. They would have keyed in on exactly what Paul is talking about, whether they were Jew or Gentile, ethnic Jew or anybody else. Okay. And it would have been this, right? So the Roman under under the the Roman Empire there would have been you know they expanded their territory so like they would send out military campaigns and a general would go out on a military campaign and as they would expand Roman territory what they would do is they would take people from the place that they just conquered and they would come back to the city and there would be a huge parade and a huge celebration and either the general or the emperor would be going through the city and there would be this train of people behind them that represent those who were conquered. And now initially in in their minds, it would have been like, man, that could be positive or negative depending on how you looked at it. But I love that Paul takes this concept and he flips it on its head to say, look at what Christ has done for us though. Look at what Christ has done for us. And this is the first thing. What did he do for us? Christ won us in battle. Christ led a successful military campaign against the enemy of this world. He led a successful military campaign against sin and death and hell and everything that went against the kingdom of God. And he led, I say past tense, he led a successful military campaign against the enemy. And he says, and I have won. Past tense, I have won. And when you come to know Jesus, when you go, I believe Jesus, that you won on the cross, that you dealt death the death blow, and that you rose from the dead to say that you have the final word instead of death, and I receive that, and I bow my knee to you and follow you, guess what? You are on the winning side of this triumphant parade. And Jesus, he's saying, this is what I have done for you. I have won you. I have purchased you is another way of putting it. There's, you know, Paul, one of Paul's favorite words that he uses is the word redeem. And it's a term that refers to, you know, the slavery, slave trade. If you were a slave and you were purchased, you, your freedom was purchased, right? And this, I just want to, you know, cruise through a few verses just to show you, like this just scratches the surface of Paul's favorite word, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to what? Redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's that word redeem, one of Paul's favorite words. Titus chapter two, verse 14, we're moving in the, in the timeline later in life, right? 
says Christ Jesus gave himself for us to what? Redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the purpose. He says, I am redeeming you. I'm purchasing you. And lastly, very last picture, Revelation, end of the book, future, right? In Revelation 14, 4, it says, it is these it is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they were virgins. It is these who followed the lamb wherever he goes. Hopefully that's us. We follow the lamb wherever we go. These have been what? Redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the lamb. A redeemed people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This was the work of Christ, that he would secure it. And he leads this triumphal procession. That's you guys. He's leading you in triumphal procession. And in the conflicts, the various conflicts that might go on within your oikos or your sphere of influence, we need to have this perspective that Christ is always present tense leading me in victory in Christus Victor, Christ the victor. Okay? He is leading you in, in a triumphal procession. So this is what... Christ has done for you, okay? But what has he done to you? What has he done to you? So going back to 2 Corinthians chapter two now, okay? So go back to our key passage. It says again, thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Why? Because something has happened. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. I just want to stop there. Guys, we are the aroma of Christ. This is an identity statement. He's not saying like, you might be the aroma of Christ. No, this is something that God has done to you. He's done this to you. He's done something for you. He's purchased you. You've been redeemed. You belong to him as a son or a daughter. And there's something that is, you can't even touch with the physical, you know, you can't even touch it. Something metaphysical has happened to you. He says, I have done this to you. And you may not have even realized everything that Christ was choosing to do to you when you received Christ. But he says this, you have become the aroma of Christ. You've become the aroma of Christ. Something supernatural has happened to you. So he makes us a fragrant aroma. And again, the first century audience would have heard this and they would have automatically thought of that same procession where there was this triumphal victory and then there was incense being lit to all, lit to all the false gods, right? And if you would have went to this parade, it would have smelled really good. It would have been very pleasant. You're like, wow, this is crazy, all this, all this incense, right? But there's another picture that would have been in the minds of not just the Gentiles, but the Jews, the ethnic Jews. They would have got a picture in their mind. And I love that last week, Pastor Brad, he made this connection between the temple of God and us as a people. And we are, you guys remember, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We're like mobile temples. And he talked a lot about that. And this is the same idea. This is the same idea that those burnt offerings, the things that they offered to God at the, at the temple in the first century and previous, it is said in the Bible that this was a sweet smelling aroma to God, very pleasing in the, in the, in the senses of God. 
right? As God smelled this, it was so pleasing to God. So how many of you guys, so you start reading your Bible, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible this year. You get, you know, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Exodus is pretty cool. Then it starts getting into the laws and you're like, you hit Leviticus and you just like fall asleep, right? You get to Leviticus and you're like, this is really tough. That's because Leviticus is like the priest's manual. It's like, hey, this is what I want you to do as a new formed people, as the priest, this is what I want you to do. And you know, 34 times in the book of Leviticus, it talks about these sacrifices that were made. And it says, this is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. This is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. And so the Jew would have heard this and would have gone, wow, I am that sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling aroma to God, pleasing in his sight, right? And, and we need to bring it back to here now, okay? This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done for you. He's won you, and he's done something to you. He's made you pleasing in his sight. Positionally, the way you stand in Christ, you are a sweet-smelling aroma in Christ, Maybe you need to hear that this morning because who we are should shape what we do, right? Let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's understand who we are first and then let that shape what we do. I am a sweet smelling aroma to God. So therefore I want to be sweet to people, right? Um, I, but I am this. This is something that God has done to me. And so Another note on this aroma of Christ. What are we really talking about when we're talking about the aroma of Christ? So that we're not mistaken, this is talking about a level of moral goodness that you now possess in Christ. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, he's describing the same kind of thing that has happened to you. He makes another identity statement, okay? In verse 8 and 9, he says, for at one time you were what? darkness. That's who you were. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Now you are light in the Lord. And do you see how Paul says, let's talk about who we are first before we get into what you should be. Because if we don't know who we are, it's hard to function how we're supposed to be right? He says, you were darkness. That's past tense. How many of you guys still in Christ right now have that kind of identity statement over your life where you're like, I know, but I'm just dark. I, I'm dark. And that's, you're still believing that. And, and this word needs to be spoken to you by God to say, no, you are not. No, you're not. It doesn't matter what you have done or what has happened to you. You are not darkness anymore in Christ. You are light in the Lord. And what does he say is the nature of this light, which I think is this aroma. It is what? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. These are all moral statements, right? These are all moral statements. Uh, statements, good as opposed to bad, right as opposed to wrong, true as opposed to false. And we are all of these things in, in Christ. This is metaphysically something that has happened to you. Do you guys realize that? Do you guys believe that? It's, it's hard to believe sometimes. I know that. I get it. But this is who you are. You are light in the Lord. 
You are the aroma of Christ in your different circles, in your oikos, in your community, in your workplaces. This is who you are. This is what Christ has done to you. That is a moral goodness quality. One of my favorite interactions with somebody in relation to this was, um, you know, again, living in Northern Utah, uh, my family my family planted a church with a few other families. And, and so we plant this church, right? And, and me and my good friend, uh, we lived our lives together before we knew Jesus. We did a lot of stuff we shouldn't have done. And then when we finally, we came to know the Lord and the Lord called us to plant a church, you know, wind of this got caught in my friends who I knew in high school. And one of my friends, um, she was like the, the, you know, captain of her roller derby league. And so, so suffice it to say she was big and she was mean and you didn't want to run into her into a dark alleyway. Like you did not want to run into her. Okay. And she could take me out hands down. No problem. Right. So, so she got wind that we planted a church and I hadn't seen her for years. And she shows up at one of our first public gatherings and she was like, I heard of it. And now I've seen with my eyes, this is crazy. Who are you guys planning a church? what? You know? And, and we're like, yeah. And we got to tell her about Jesus. But she sat in, that, in this, this service, the first time she shows up to church. And we just so happened to be going through the gospel of John. And in John chapter four, there's the woman at the well who understood her need and her thirst for God and her desire to satisfy that in other ways. And she heard that message and that day she gave her life to Jesus. This big, tough, you know, rough around the edges uh, woman who beats people up for fun, right? She, she was in the first couple weeks of coming to know the Lord. She sits down with me and my friend and she's like, guys, I don't know what has happened to me. I can't explain this. I don't know what's going on. She's like, I would sit in these meetings because she was like over the entire league, not just her own kind of crew. She was over the whole league and she would have these organizational meetings. And she said, she's like, normally I'd be sitting in these meetings and when, you know, any sort of conflict would happen or somebody would say something I disagreed with, like she's big and tough and she's just like, that's stupid. That's a dumb idea. Moving on, you know? And she would just, she was kind of rude. But then she's like, I don't know what's happened to me. Like I, somebody made a comment like that and I found like I was patient with them. And uh, I wanted to know their, like why they were thinking that way. And she's like, whoa, 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 what in the world has happened to me? What did you guys do to me? You know, it's like, we didn't do anything to you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the goodness of God. That's the fruit of the spirit in your life. Something that he was doing to her without her even like putting in the effort and knowing her Bible and doing all that. He just did it because that's what God does. And some, I think guys, we need to have that in our minds afresh. Whose work is it to produce in you these good and right and true things? It's God's work. We just need to press into him and let him do it. And he will lead us in triumphal procession because he's won us and we are the aroma of Christ because of something he's done to us metaphysically. And so, okay, the problem still arises though. This is what, God, what Christ has done for us and what he's done to us. But what do we do? Now the second half of this sermon, what do we do in light of some of the hard responses that we get when we're trying to follow Jesus? So 
Here are the two ways in which, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, now verse 16, these are the sum of the responses that Paul says. This is what can happen. We are the aroma of Christ, but in verse 16, he says to one group, we are a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. I just want to stop right there for a second. He says, you are a fragrance. You are. You are the aroma of Christ. And there is mixed opinion on your smell, okay? There's mixed opinion on, on your smell. And I think that, you know, the way people respond, they can either think that your smell is pleasant or it's putrefying. They, they think that it, it's, it's nice and it's actually attractive or it's repulsive. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. And again, I go, why is that? Why is that? And what do we do in light of this response? What do we do when our oikos or the people around us respond in ways that we didn't expect or we didn't see coming? And this is the, what do we do? And I think it's contained even in, in these verses in 2 Corinthians. And I think we need to maintain a maintain perspective. Okay, when we started this series, we all got those cool sunglasses, right? And we put these sunglasses on. And, be, and that, that was because when, when we started this series, you know, Pastor Brad said, like, let's, yes, this is a series, but let's not think of it as just a series. This is bigger than that. This is a principle by which we are going to follow Jesus into the spheres of influence in our lives, right? It's a lens by which we see the world around us, that we have this, this sight, that we are on partnership with Christ and the Holy Spirit as he's working through us to try and see other people experience the transforming grace of Jesus Christ, right? And so there's these lenses that we have. And I think when people respond both positively and negatively, we need to maintain perspective. We need to remind ourselves of very specific things that will help us respond when things maybe, you know, don't go the way we thought they, they would go. And so the first thing that I think we can imply from this passage is if you look at verse 16, it says, to one we're a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance of life to life. And then Paul asks this question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Right? It's almost like Paul has this, like he's thinking about all the hardships he's been through, but he's thinking about how Christ leads him in, in triumphal procession, how he gets to be the aroma of Christ. And I think that just sinks into his brain. And he goes, I get to be the aroma of Christ. What a, what a crazy, amazing privilege. Whoa, who is sufficient for this? Right? It's, a, it's, I think, a right and natural response when you really understand what Christ has done for you and what he's done to you without you even asking a lot of times. And, he's, and what a privileged place that we get to be the fragrance of Christ. And some of you think, I, I'm not sufficient for this. And mind you, later on in the chapter, in the very next chapter, Paul says, God has made us sufficient in Christ. He has, and he makes this faith statement. Some of you need to hear that. You are sufficient in Christ to be commissioned by God to go into your world to be the aroma of Christ. You are sufficient. You are sufficient. But he starts with this, wow, perspective. I get to be the fragrance of Christ. So do you, do you regularly meditate on the things we're talking about this morning, what Christ has done for you, 
what Christ has done to you, specifically as it pertains to your life, the details of that? Do you regularly reflect on that? And does it produce this humility and this like, wow, this awe of I get to be the aroma of Christ, right? But as we're being uh, the aroma of Christ, we can start to think like, okay, but what, what if people respond in ways that are, that are negative, right? What if people respond in ways that are negative? And I would say that if people are responding in ways that are negative, if people think you stink, right? If people think you stink, it's actually, I, I think it's an indicator that you're probably doing a good job. Seriously, you're probably doing a good job, right? Now, and I don't want to pick on the teenagers in the room, like we've all been teenagers, but how many of you guys have teenage boys specifically? Boys, you can take it, right? Like how many of you guys te have teenage boys, right? I have a couple of teenage boys. Sorry, guys, I'm going to pick on you right now. Um, but guess what happens when teenagers start to become teenagers? What, what happens? They just start stinking, right? No joke. Like they just start stinking, and now, yeah, I teach in a classroom here and some of those people, those little boys, they show up in my classroom and they stink up my classroom, right? And I'm like, we'll do something about that for sure. We'll plug in some air fresheners, but here's just a little reminder, okay? When, when they're stinking, guess what that's an indicator of? The body's functioning the way it's supposed to function, okay? It's normal. That's actually the way it's supposed to function, Right? And so, I mean, how many of you guys, if, if you go do sports and you go out on the field and you work really hard, guess what? You come in smelly. You come in stinking. And if you're not sweating and if you're not working, you're probably not doing what you're supposed to be doing and your coach is going to make you do up-downs or something. I don't know. But the smell sometimes means you're doing a good job, right? You're doing a good job. So just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep being who you're supposed to be being. Don't put a bushel over your light, that moral goodness. Don't do it. Just keep being who Christ has made you to be. If you're stinky, you're probably doing a good job, okay? Um, but here's the thing. The next, my next point. He says, you know, I am a pleasing aroma to God. This is a very important point. I am a pleasing aroma to God. This is what he says. We are the aroma of Christ to God, to him. What did I say? 34 times in the book of Leviticus, it talks about this aroma and who is it pleasing to? It's pleasing to God. I know those seem like two kind of, you know, inconsequential words, but those are important words. To God you are pleasing to God. Because here's the thing, guys. If we use people's responses as a metric for whether or not we are doing a good job, you will lose focus. You will lose focus. If I start to look at people's positive response, right? Like where people are pleased with the things I'm saying. Oh man, that was such a great message. Oh, you're doing so amazing. Guess what I can have a tendency to do? I'm, I'm pretty cool. Yeah, like, you know, I can, I can, it can elicit a negative response in me. It can let it go to my head. And I can start thinking like, yeah, you're right. I am God's gift to the church and you should acknowledge that or something, right? Like, and it becomes this clanging symbol. This is not a good response. 
if people are my metric for whether I determine if I'm doing a good job. And that works on the positive side and it works on the negative side. If I look at people's response, negative response, and if I look at them and I go, they are my metric as to whether I'm doing a good job or not, you will lose focus. You will get off track. And this is why I think it's so important that we go, who are we a pleasing aroma to in Christ? To God. It is to God alone that we look to, to hear words and to say things over our lives that give us the instruction and correction that we need. And yes, that comes through people, but I need people in my life that are gonna tell me both encouraging things that are gonna speak truth into my life. Yes, you're doing a good job. And here's what you need to work on, right? The people that are going to affirm and correct, right? But the pleasing aroma is to God and it is alone, God alone that we look to for our satisfaction, our affirmation and our identity, these identity statements of who we are. Right, one passage that I think is just really great that talks about how we walk is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, walk in love, okay? Walk in love as Christ. So we're walking as Christ. We're being a pleasing aroma to God, walking as Christ walked, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a what? Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the metric, This is the metric by which we can determine if we are doing a good job or not. We're looking at the gospel. We're looking at Jesus and we're saying, am I, God, please tell me if I am living like Jesus. God, please tell me if I am loving like Jesus. God, please tell me if I am sacrificing like Jesus. And if you do that, you will elicit both positive and negative responses. But we should not look to people to determine if we are doing a good job or not. We walk as Christ walked, a fragrant aroma to God, right? Um, Here's another thing. Two more points and we're going to wrap up, okay? Here's another thing that we need to understand is when we experience conflict when we're following Jesus and, you know, people respond in negative ways, I think we need to maintain perspective that people's spiritual receptors are broken, right? Right? Before I came to know Jesus, I didn't want anything to do with what was good and true and right. I didn't care. But it's because my spiritual receptors were broken and my response to things that were good was broken. And there was something that I thought about even in relation to this, right? So um, how many of you guys during, you know, COVID, you actually lost your smell? Like you got it and you lost your smell and it was weird. Um, and, and so how many of you guys, maybe this is more rare, but how many of you guys, when your smell came back, things did not smell the same? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is actually the, here's the medical term for it. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but parosmia, right? And this is what happens when your smell receptors are affected by a viral infection and things that normally would smell sweet or savory now stink, Right. And, and so the thing, like I had friends that this happened to and, and they were like, man, I just need you to pray for me because like, I love the smell of barbecue. And, and, and now it's like, when I smell, I smell like burning garbage. Yeah, like that was, that was the smell. And it was, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is tragic. <laughs> like that's, that stinks. No pun intended. Right. Like that is horrible. 
But here's the thing is they know in their head that there's nothing wrong with the food. There's nothing wrong with the scents. There's nothing wrong with that. They know that there's disconnect in their brain and their, their receptors, right? There's a disconnect. And this is what's true. As we are the aroma of Christ, people think you stink, but they're coming to a wrong conclusion, And they think that there's something wrong with you when in reality, they are broken. They are broken. And this is what I think Jesus had this perspective. What did he say when he was hanging on the cross, paying for the sin of the world? Forgive them, they what? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And I think that whenever this happens, Whenever we get a negative response from people in our lives, like Jesus said, there's going to be division so that we wouldn't be surprised when it happens. And that as we learn who he is and what he's done for us and to us, we go, there is a spiritual brokenness that he set right in my life. And but for the grace of God, it would still be broken. It would still be broken. And I know what it's like to have receptors broken, those spiritual receptors broken. And I know what it's like. And when I see people responding in ways that are just illogical, I go, you don't know what you're doing. You just don't know what you're doing, right? And I think we need to maintain that perspective that people's spiritual receptors are broken. And so the last uh, point that I have for you guys, okay? The last point. How, what should we do about this negative response sometimes that we get from people as we're trying to partner with, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to see people experience the transforming grace of Jesus Christ? What do we do when people don't respond positively? Here's what Paul says he did. He says, this is what we don't do, and this is what we do. This is what we don't do, and this is what we do. He says, everything I do I do in the sight of God. Everything I do, everything I do, I do in the sight of God. Everything I do, I consider that Jesus is watching me. Jesus is is loving me. Jesus is with me. Everything I do, I do in the sight of God. His is what he says we don't do. He says, like so many, we're not gonna peddle God's word. We're not gonna manipulate you, right? We're not gonna twist God's word. We're not gonna be manipulative, he says, but what are we gonna what are we gonna be? We're gonna be sincere. I just I just wanna love you, right? And sometimes that means I just don't need to say anything. And I just need to love you. And I wanna be sincere. Sometimes that means I don't have all the right answers. How many times do we think like, oh, I have to have the right answer in this conversation? And out of fear, we don't even open our mouth because we don't have the right right answer. But what people need is just sincerity. They just need you to be sincere and they just need you to love them right? And when people are responding in in negative ways, we need the power of the Spirit to enable us to live like the Son of God who sacrificed for enemies and hostile people and say, "I I just need to love them with sincerity, right? We need to view ourselves as commissioned. Do you guys believe that you are commissioned by God to be the aroma of Christ wherever you go? Do you guys believe that? You are commissioned by the God of this universe in Christ to go and be this, be who you are in Christ, be the fragrant aroma of Christ in your oikos. But this last thing he says, in the sight of God, 
we speak. In the sight of God, we speak. And sometimes, like in, in the ways that we talk to each other, sometimes the ways that we talk to each other, we forget that Jesus is present with us when we're opening our mouths. You know, sometimes we forget that Jesus is like, he's with us and he's watching us as we speak. And, and, and if I were to be, be caught speaking the way I speak sometimes, I just wonder what would it change if we thought, really thought, Jesus, you are with me right now. You're here with me right now. And you see me and you see how I talk to people. And so if I had these lenses on beforehand and go, Jesus, you're with me, let nothing come out of my mouth except for that which is good for building up the people around me. Lord, don't let me get on my soapbox and don't let me be a clanging symbol and don't let me drive people away in the name of being the aroma when really I'm just kind of being a jerk, you know? And what I need is to just see, Jesus, you're with me. Everything I do, I do in the sight of God. <clears throat> so in conclusion, I know that conflict can sometimes be the normal kind of response in our life as we're following Jesus, but it doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It doesn't mean that it's easy. How many of you guys honestly experience the temptation to just lose heart? You're just like, this is really hard. I mean, I'm in this camp. This is a normal thing for me. Where when you experience enough conflict and you experience enough, um, you know, wrestling with people in your desire to see them experience Jesus, you just go, man, this is really hard. And, and there's many days where I just kind of want to throw in the towel and sit, just bench me, coach. Like, I'll just sit there and let everybody else kind of do it. Right? And, and this is a constant temptation constant temptation, especially, especially when conflict ensues. The temptation to just lose heart. And I just, I just want to pray for you guys who, who maybe that's your experience. And so just in conclusion, I would just love everybody to stand up. Let's stand up. I just want to think in our mind's eye, just, just think about some things. I want to pray for a few of you guys. We'll have the prayer team come up and and if you need prayer in relation to anything I'm about to say, you come up and you receive prayer. Just say, just pray for me because life is hard and I'm ready to throw in the towel. And I just need somebody to lift me up in prayer. You can come up and pray with somebody here. But with everybody standing, let's just all close our eyes. And I want you to, to think, okay? Just meditate on something that Christ has done for you that's very personal to you. Just think about what he's done for you. Think about what he's done to you. He has done something metaphysical in your life to make you something that you were not by nature. You were darkness. You are now light in the Lord. Some of you need to let that wash over you right now with our eyes closed, that you are light in the Lord. You are not darkness anymore. And it's because of Jesus Christ that he has secured that identity for you. And you need to just let that wash over you. Let that wash over you. Let this thought of Christ winning you to himself, even right now, just produce in you the, the humility that God desires. Who is sufficient for these things? 
we are not in and of ourselves sufficient to carry the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, but God makes us sufficient. And maybe with our eyes closed, you need to hear that. You are sufficient in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are sufficient, right? If your temptation right now is to lose heart because of some of the conflict and the pressure of following Jesus and swimming upstream, if your temptation is to lose heart, I want you to just come up and receive prayer. I'm going to read this passage over you one last time, and I'm going to pray. But I want you guys to just let this wash over you. If you're having a hard time, you need to hear this. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, from one, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient?